This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Acts 13, verses 1 through 13. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hand on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucus and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus who was attendant for the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul against the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, and you will be able to unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed about the teachings of the Lord. Well, we are continuing in our series, The Spirit of Adventure, God on the Move, Then and Now. And we are looking into the book of Acts, and we are learning from the men and the women of the first church as we here at Community Covenant uh, are just living into what it means to be a healthy and missional church. Healthy means pursuing Jesus, and missional means pursuing his priorities in the world, we can just gain great lessons um, from that first church as it was healthy and missional. And you know the thing I really appreciate about Scripture is it's so honest. You know, if I were going to write a book that talked about the, the spread of the gospel in the in the first century, uh, I would probably only put the highlights, the good things that happened. I'd probably omit some of the struggles or the conflict or the difficulty or the, the places where these new followers of Jesus uh, stumbled and had a difficult time, that would probably be my tendency. I'd, I'd want to focus on all the good things that happened. But I really appreciate the honesty of Scripture. I, I appreciate uh, our author, the physician and historian, the good Dr. Luke, as he writes about uh, the spread of Christianity from Jerusalem, right, through Judea, Samaria, and now as we're going to see here in Acts chapter 12, out into literally the world. And uh, this is an exciting time. 
And what we're going to encounter as we move with the gospel out now into the world are different kinds of people. And those kinds of people aren't much different than the types of people that we encounter today in our world as we live for Christ in the world. There are people who are in bondage and they need to be set free. They uh, are in bondage spiritually. Uh, they're... Um, There's a need in their life for a Savior, one who dies for their sins, one who um, reconciles them and, and makes it possible for them to have a relationship with God the way God originally intended. And those are people that they just don't know Jesus yet. They're missing from this church. They're missing people. Okay. Uh, Then there are people who have been set free. Uh, they've encountered Jesus Christ, and yet they're struggling and and they're and they're they're working their way, slogging their way through life. And and oftentimes these people, although they are free, they're living as if they're still in bondage. And then as we go through the book of Acts, we we encounter people who the Son is set free, and they are free indeed. Uh, they are living life uh, in the abundance that Christ intended. They are spirit-led followers of Jesus. And uh, they are out like that red race car that Chase brought today. They are living life high octane in the world, fulfilling the purpose that Christ has for them. Uh, they're not living life in the garage, okay? And as we go through the book of Acts, we see those three kinds of people. Now, I want to start this morning with an image on the screen. It's a picture. Oh, my, look at that. Now, if you're going to come to Alaska, and uh, you're going to make Alaska your home, uh, there are some things you need to do. And one of them is learn to fish. Now, this is my wife, Lori, and uh, this is September... And we were out on the, on the, uh, what, Kenai Peninsula and fly fishing. And this is the first time that Lori has gone fishing or went fishing, uh, as an Alaskan. And, uh, who can identify what kind of fish that is? There you go. Look at, see? Now, if I were in California and I asked that question, they'd go, huh? Well, right? It's a trout or something. That's right. It's a dolly. And that's a good looking dolly, isn't it? And uh, this was her first experience fly fishing. And look at that smile on her face. I mean, you can relate, can't you, Alaskans? You understand that. And as I think about Lori's first experience fishing, I was with her, by the way. We had a great day. And uh, I think about a story by an author. You may be familiar with him. His name is John Ortberg. He used to be with Willow Creek Church in Chicago, uh, and now he is the teaching pastor at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. He's a noted speaker and author. And, and Pastor Ortberg relates the story of the first time he went fly fishing. And it has great spiritual application. And it's really relevant to what we're going to read about and what we're going to talk about in Scripture today. So let me read uh, his account. This could be our account on this day when Lori caught her prized Dolly Varden, which, by the way, we released and said, I know, 
I know. Okay, here's Pastor Ortberg. Recently, my wife and I went fly fishing for the first time. Our guides told us that to catch a fish, you have to think like a fish. They said that to a fish, life is about the maximum gratification of appetite and the minimum expenditure of energy. To a fish, life is see a fly, want a fly, eat a fly. A rainbow trout never really reflects on where his life is headed. A girl carp rarely says to a boy carp, I don't feel you're as committed to our relationship as I am. I wonder, do you love me for me or just for my body? (laughs) The fish are just a collection of appetites. A fish is a stomach, a mouth, and a pair of eyes. Why we were on the water, writes Pastor Ortberg, I was struck by how dumb the fish are. They swallow this. It's not the real thing. It's just a lure. Now, you'll think it will feed you, but it won't. It'll trap you. If you were to look closely, fish, you would see the hook. You'd know once you were hooked that it's just a matter of time before the enemy, in this case the the fisher man or woman, reels you in. You'd think fish would wise up and notice the hook or see the line. You'd think fish would look around at all their fish friends who go by a lure and fly off into space and never return. But they don't. It's ironic. We say fish swim together in a school, but they never learn. Aren't you glad, he writes, that we're smarter? Hmm. Or are we? This morning, as we look into Acts chapter 13, this is a significant marker in the new church. Acts chapter 13 begins a movement now into what? The Roman world, where previously followers of Jesus were sharing their faith and it was primarily reaching out to Jews and they were becoming Jewish followers of Jesus and it was primarily looked upon as a movement in which uh, it was led by Peter. Here in Acts chapter 13, uh, we see this dramatic change. We're introduced again to this person named Saul and for the very first time in Acts chapter 13, he's going to go by his Roman name, if you will, of Paul. And he is going to become identified as the primary character throughout the rest of the book of Acts as the church now moves west from Antioch and north into southern Galatia and into the Roman world. This is an important moment in the life of the church. But as we begin, we notice the church in Antioch has gathered among themselves five prophets and teachers... And they are being led in prayer. They're earnestly seeking God's direction for the church. And as you see here, they are praying and they are fasting and they're seeking God's direction. And it becomes very clear. 
that they're to call out from among themselves, Paul and Barnabas, and they're going to lay hands on them, or they're going to pray for them, they're going to commission them, and they're going to send them. And this is going to begin the first of three missionary journeys that you're going to see Paul go on. Three. As I said, this one moves from uh, Antioch west uh, to Cyprus. That's where Barnabas is from, by the way. Okay, It's his home turf. And from there, it's going to go north into southern Galatia, as I said. But it's the first of three. And this missionary journey is going to take you from Acts chapter 13 through most of Acts 14. It's his first missionary journey. It's about a year and a half chronologically. Okay? And the important thing, the takeaway here that's so important for us is, as we are gathering, as we are preparing to hear our biblical story, as we as a church are going to have a service of dedication, uh, for the most of the last nine months as we've been on this vitality pathway, what have we been doing? We've been praying. We've been seeking God's direction in the life of our church. Our church has had a, a wonderful past built on a foundation by godly men and women, a foundation in which the Word of God is central, uh, in which this church is oriented outward uh, to spread the good news of the gospel. But here we are at this very important time in the life of our church. And what are we doing? We've been praying. We've been seeking God's direction. And as our vitality groups have been meeting and coming back and, and helping us discern what God is doing, we are excited for this new season uh, that the Lord has us in as we together pursue Christ and His priorities in the world. But we have to understand that this begins with prayer. The model that we see is the model that Jesus presented. Uh, his ministry and His mission uh, began with what? prayer and with fasting, with earnestly seeking the Lord for direction. We see that in the ministry of the disciples and of the apostles all through the book of Acts. And it reminds me of this quote. It's uh, by uh, Thomas Chalmers, and he is a Scottish missionary. And he says, prayer does not enable us to do a greater work for God. Prayer is a greater work. For God. And so the, all that we do as a church, we begin with a foundation of prayer. And that's what we see here as a church at Antioch gathers and they pray and they fast. They discern that they're to send Paul and Barnabas out on this mission that is going to reach uh, the Roman world. It's the beginning of the gospel spreading to the Roman world. So now as they do that, they go to the island there of Cyprus and they go to the synagogue. And that is a pattern you're going to see. Uh, Paul, throughout his missionary journeys, will go to the synagogue. Oftentimes, uh, in the uh, Gentile world, there are Jewish communities that are established. And he's going to start in the synagogue. And there he's going to find Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. And he's going to start to argue that Jesus is Messiah using Old Testament scripture. And from there, he moves out of the synagogue into the, to the greater community, uh, to the non-Jewish members of the community. And that's a pattern that he follows. And so he wants to begin in the synagogue when that's possible. And that's what he does here. 
And apparently, as he's moving from town to town throughout this island of Cyprus, the gospel is spreading and word is going out ahead of them until they reach a point where this uh, proconsul Paulus, wants to hear about the faith. But in, in that situation, the proconsul has a Jewish magician or false prophet. His name is Bar-Jesus or Elymas. Now, you might remember back in Acts chapter 8, there was Simon the magician. And you remember as the gospel was shared, he wanted to know how much could he purchase the power that he saw Peter and John have. And he was soundly rebuked and sent away for doing that. Now, in the Jewish world, it was not unusual to have these magicians or, as the Bible calls them, false prophets. And they oftentimes would use powers that came from the occult. And they would use them for their financial gain and benefit. And in the case here in this church or in Cyprus, what's happening is Bar-Jesus or Elymas, he is attached to the pro-council. And oftentimes these false prophets would hang around powerful people. And they would prophesy and they would perform uh, feats of magic. And for that, they would be compensated richly. And so now he sees Paul and Barnabas coming and wanting to share about the Christian faith. Now, what does that mean to him? If the proconsul, right, who is a, a Gentile, he's Roman, and, and basically what that means, the proconsul, it's an area, a territory that's a senatorial district in the Empire of Rome. And so the proconsul would be like the governor of that area. Now, if the proconsul were to hear the message of the gospel and were to respond, if that were to change his life, what would that mean for Bar-Jesus, the false prophet? I mean, he'd be out of work, huh? And so he had a vested interest in stopping the spread of the gospel, especially to this influential man. He didn't want to see it go there. Now, for him, it was about his position and about financial gain in losing those financial resources. But the enemy, the devil, is working through him because it's about much more than that. Here we see, as the gospel is now about to spread into the Roman world, a challenge. Because the enemy, Satan, wants to use this false prophet to stop the spread of the gospel. He's a tool of the enemy. And we read this in Acts chapter 13. It says here in verse 9, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, 13.9 is the first time in the book of Acts that Saul is called Paul. Okay? It says Saul, who was also called Paul, and he'll go by that throughout the rest of the book of Acts, filled with who? The Holy Spirit. Okay? There's spiritual warfare taking place here. There is the spread of the gospel, but the enemy wants to stop it. But Paul and Barnabas, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looks straight in the eye of the false prophet and he says this, You are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. 
Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Verse 11. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped out, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. It's a very interesting contrast here. Do you remember in Acts chapter 9, when Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus to persecute followers of Jesus? Do you remember what happened to him? He had an encounter with Jesus in which he was literally what? Blinded by the light. And he had scales go over his eyes. Eventually the scales fall off as a demonstration that Saul was once spiritually blind, but now he can see. Now he has spiritual sight. So now here we have Saul, who is identified as Paul, and he encounters this false prophet and he calls him out because he recognizes that, that this false prophet really is an emissary of the devil. And the devil wants to stop the spread of the gospel before it ever gets started into the Roman world. And he calls it out and he pronounces upon him that he's a child, he's a worker of Satan, of the devil, that he is trying to twist the gospel and to keep the proconsul from coming to faith in Christ. And so as he does that, what happens to him? The proconsul now has a dark cloud come over him in which he is blind. So Paul was blinded by light, but the scales fell off his eyes, represented that he was spiritually blind, but now he could see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The sorcerer here, the false prophet, he is blinded by darkness and he's groping around looking for someone to help him. And what is that revealing? Not that he's spiritually blind, but that his heart, his motivation, his intention comes from the place of darkness. So what's actually happening to him is representative of what's going on internally and what's going on in this cosmic battle between the Lord and the forces of evil. Now, that battle is real today. Do you know that? I started with the story about the fish. And John Ortberg says, aren't you glad we aren't like the fish? You see, the, the whole work of the false prophet was to keep the proconsul from hearing the good news. And the enemy of our souls, the devil wants to keep you and me from living into the good news that we've received. That we, we live in a world in which there are all kinds of voices, all types of spiritual influences that are seeking to keep us in bondage, even though we've been set free. Seeking to keep us in the garage, like the red car illustration of the mystery box. To keep us from being people who are pursuing Christ and His priorities in the world. And so you see this contrast in Acts chapter 13 between light and darkness. And that's a contrast 
that is alive and well in our world today. The contrast between the light that Christ has called us to live into and the darkness in which we live. And the question is, is the light going to shine or is it going to be extinguished by darkness? Are, are we going to allow the false, the false prophets of our day keep us from growing into and living into all that God intends for us through Jesus Christ? Because the enemy still wants to stop the spread of the gospel. He's a liar and a deceiver. Let me just take you through a walk through scripture to illustrate my point. John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. Psalm 119.105 Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. That's why it's so important that we are grounded in the word of God. That we believe in the centrality of scripture. That, that we, okay, ask the question when we're confronted with the false prophets of our time and their message. We say, where is it written? And we come back to the Word of God. It anchors us in our faith. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And it's the Holy Spirit that's alive and active in our lives that allows us to understand the Word of God. The things of God are spiritually understood. And that understanding comes through the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus, in Matthew 24, 24, talking about a time in which there would be many false prophets, says these words, For false prophets, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And that's kind of what we see here in Acts chapter 13, don't we? A false prophet trying to deceive in this case, trying to keep the message of the gospel from the Roman proconsul. But what Jesus is saying, that there's going to come a time in which the message of false prophets and false messiahs are going to be so strong that if it weren't for the intervention of His Holy Spirit to preserve and to protect us, that even we who know Jesus could be deceived and led astray. That's a warning to you and to me that we need to be alert and aware Galatians 1, 6-8 I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel do you know there are people today that are turning to a different gospel that they're listening to the messages of false messiahs and false prophets and they're turning away from the true gospel 
Men and women who have been set free are turning and they're wanting to move back into a lifestyle of spiritual bondage. Which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. There are forces out of the church, in the church, church when I mean universal, that are trying to pervert and change the Word of God to fit into a a cultural paradigm that supports different kinds of, of lifestyles that aren't consistent with what God's Word says. It's going on today. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be Right? Let them be under God's curse. Again, the centrality of the Word of God. That our faith is based on the Word of God that comes to us that we understand through the power and through the clarity given of His Holy Spirit. Now, Paul writes later on in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see what? The light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Again, the enemy's tactics are still the same. The enemy is seeking to blind what? The minds of those who don't know Christ just as Bar-Jesus, the false prophet, was trying to blind the eyes of the proconsul to keep him from coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.14 And no wonder Paul is now talking about false prophets that are threatening the well-being of the church. No wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as what? An angel of light. Okay? He doesn't show himself for who he really is. He disguises himself in light. It is not surprising then that his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. And then finally, Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You know that? That we, our citizenship has been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. That we would live lives pleasing to the Lord. Not because we have to, because we want to. We surrender to Him. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And that's what he's calling us to do. Why do I, why do I, I talk about this and emphasize this? It's because we're living in a time when we need to be sober and alert, as Peter writes. Our enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a hungry lion seeking whom he may devour. We, at Community Covenant Church, need to be pursuing Christ and His priorities in the world. And our pursuit is anchored in the centrality of the Word of God 
and we were dependent upon the Holy Spirit that we would stand up to the pressure that coming from the outside of the culture and even pressure we may feel inside to be something other than what God is calling us to be in His Word. But you know where that starts? It starts with you and me individually. What I want to ask you is where in your life, where in your life is something keeping you from, from hearing the Word of God? Where in your life are there influences that are, that are preventing you from, from growing into the fullness that God has for us in Christ Jesus? Where are those places? God is calling each of us to examine ourselves that we, like David would say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so as we prepare to move out, as we prepare for a service of dedication, it begins with dedicating ourselves, rededicating ourselves to living the life that God intends for us to live, a life that is biblically based, a life that is dependent upon the leading of the Holy Spirit, a life in which we come together as a community and support one another against forces in culture that would have us go astray. And so this morning, as the worship team comes up, I'm asking you to bow your heads. Each person, just bow your head. And maybe there have been places in our lives, Lord, that we have been listening to the voices of false prophets. We've been enamored by, by acts of power or displays of, uh, that are seductive or, or influence that are, that are subtly calling us away from the true faith that is biblical into lifestyles and choices, decisions, um, that are contrary to how you would have us live. This morning, Father, we pray as a church and as individuals, create in us, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Father, whatever that looks like for each individual, Father, I pray that today would be a fresh start. Today would be a confession and an acknowledgement that true life, the only life worth living is a life that is fully surrendered to you. A life that is fully dependent upon your Holy Spirit. Day by day. Father, in this moment, we confess those areas that, that we want to let go of and areas that we need you to help us grow into. Those who the sun sets free are free indeed. Amen.